0: This is the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast, here to educate, inform and support general practice staff in Nottinghamshire. Get to know about those who represent you, as well as all the latest information from Notts LMC at your leisure. Tune in and subscribe to our podcast today, hosted by me, Zenaida Morrison, at podbean.com. welcome back to the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast. It's that festive time of year and what a year it has been. As you know, we started this podcast in January of 2022 with a purpose to support GPs and their practice staff in Nottingham and Nottinghamshire. We wanted to provide an audio resource of information about the services available to you through our LMC, but also to tackle well-being and uplift morale through compelling and inspiring stories from colleagues who've also walked with us through some of the most challenging times from COVID and lockdown to Brexit and recession, sharing some of the tools they've used to cope and to help them pull through. Fast forward, and it's hard to believe we are already at the end of this year and heading into 2023. Nonetheless, it's been wonderful bringing you insightful interviews with some great practitioners in the sector talking about personal trials and triumphs to well-being and plans for the future for primary care as part of a wider integrated system. We hope to be back with you again with some interesting and informative episodes in the new year. But for now, let us recap some of our great guests who have shared some noteworthy nuggets of wisdom that we can take with us into 2023. We'll kickstart things off with Dr. Helen Garr, the wellbeing GP, on ways we can unwind and centre ourselves after a hectic day. Being the wellbeing GP, I think it's it's really fitting for me to ask you how you take care of your wellbeing. So I'm going to set the scene for you right now. When you have finished a
1: hectic day, what do you do to unwind and why? Great question. So as the well-being GP, <laughs> what I do and what I say are often two different things. So uh, I am human yeah. and we all know working in general practice is exhausting at the moment. And like All of my colleagues, I'll often, I will crawl home at the end of the day. And sometimes I'm so exhausted, I can barely even speak, I can barely even hold a conversation. And that's, that's pretty normal it's not right but that's pretty normal for um those of us working in the NHS at the moment yeah sometimes all, all you have got the energy to do is lie on the sofa and watch trash TV um <laughs> and I'm quite open and honest that sometimes the temptation is there to have a glass of wine to try and wind down and actually that's yeah. human nature to want the quick win that you know the easy de-stress but yeah. I'm very conscious of that so when I'm at my best um ideal Helen doesn't crawl home and lie on the sofa um there's quite a it's a really great question actually because there's quite a lot of things that I really try and be mindful of doing so um I heard a really great TED talk um, some time ago and it was all about when you come home at the end of the day it's all about how how you show up not when you show up because it might be seven eight o'clock at night but how you show up and being the person you want to be when you get there for your family for your pets for yourself so I take a few minutes at the end of my day um, when I get home, so if I'm working from home before I leave my office or when I pull up on the drive, just to have a few moments to just sit and to breathe and to just try and transition mm-hmm. from the day I've just had and bring my best self to my home so how do I want to be when I show up so a few minutes just to transition and there's lots and lots of ways you can do that you can do some deep breathing some people imagine sort of opening a drawer and dumping in the the day into that drawer some people just imagine metaphorically stepping through their front door and when they shut it leaving that day behind So I'm really quite conscious of trying to do that I read somewhere once that Something like 70% of us when we get home in the evening, if we um, live with other people, or live with pets, sometimes it can be hours and hours before we even acknowledge those people that we live with so now I make a real conscious effort to, when I get through the door to say hello to my dog because my dog is the first person to greet me when I get home and I'd recognize that actually I was just ignoring my dog because I was so tired and my dog's so happy to see me so I make a real effort to say hello to my dog and then I go and find my children find my husband and make eye contact because we often don't do that and actually connect with them and ask how their their day is.
0: The COVID-19 pandemic did a number on all of us um we you know we're out of the thick of it I somehow (laughs) there is this kind of next phase of you know healing wounds learning how to cope with the aftermath the fact that you know it's here to stay in many ways um Mm -hmm. in your estimation what do you think it will take to recover from this this global pandemic and what are some of the Practical things that practitioners can do to begin the healing process?
1: Oh gosh. Well, I mean, I don't think we're going to know till years and years down the line the true extent of the effects that this pandemic's had on our um, healthcare staff. And, you know, we're, we're all seeing it, aren't we, in ourselves, in our colleagues, um, we're seeing it at practitioner health. People are exhausted absolutely exhausted um we're we're seeing the effects of trauma people are coming to us at practitioner health with symptoms consistent with ptsd i think on a on the most basic level i think accepting and acknowledging it's been a really horrific experience, and we're still in it. It isn't over. We're still in it. Who knows what the winter has to bring? But yeah. just that um, labeling acceptance actually, this has been really, really tough, mm-hmm. can be helpful. And actually, this again, it's another cliche, but being kind to ourselves, we're not so good at that. Yes. In- Healthcare. we often work and work and work and work and work until we crash we think you know we're not able to take a rest take a break to to just be kind to ourselves and allow ourselves to take the time we need to recover and actually I, I often say to people one of our doctors that works with us, Dr. Caroline Walker, she's amazing. She's also known as the Joyful Doctor. She gave yeah. me this phrase that I use a lot, um, but the credits to her is finish the sentence. I give myself permission to. Yeah, and whatever comes to your mind at the end of that sentence, just hold on to that. And it's I give myself permission to. It might be to go off sick when I'm poorly, to take a nap when I'm tired, to eat that nutritious food, to go for that walk, to spend time with my family, to, you know, to change my job, to, you know, to take some time out, whatever it might be. And yeah. things as simple as I give myself permission to have a nap when I'm tired, it can be so powerful, yet seems so basic. Right. So I, I just think, you know, this that we could talk all day about how we're going to heal and recover from this you know there's whole government strategies on this but and we've touched on a lot of it before the way we heal and recover is one acknowledge what we've been through thank people for their hard work offer the support to each other when it's needed let people know where the wider support is if that's needed and we've talked about practitioner health the lmc you know the bma counseling service you don't have to be a member of the bma to access that i think most importantly just genuinely be kind to ourselves, as cliched as that is.
0: I don't know about you, but to take a few minutes to centre and gather yourself before engaging with loved ones seems essential, really. And there are some other great things she recommended, which you'll find in the full episode. So when you have a moment, have a listen for these wellbeing tips. Right, now this was our very first guest and an episode I particularly enjoyed, um, interviewing the Nottingham Sherlem C Chair, Dr Carter Singh. I got to know a lot more about his upbringing and how this influenced some of the great works he has and is doing in the sector, which ultimately led him to being awarded an MBE. <laughs> And talk to us a little bit about what what the award was for. I think it's important that people know uh, some of the work that you have been doing, you know, throughout the COVID pandemic and also the the vaccination programme as well. What was the
2: award for?
3: So it was was services in in, uh, Nottinghamshire, so services to healthcare in Nottinghamshire. Mm -hmm. And it was revolving mainly around the work I've been doing, especially during the pandemic. So the the pandemic shone a, a very stark... Spotlight on the inequalities that exist in our communities, our societies, and especially the health service. At the beginning of the pandemic, I started to notice that the death rates and the morbidity and the mortality associated with COVID mm. was especially higher in vulnerable groups. And the two main groups that I've got a special interest in is people with learning disabilities. And the other group is ethnic minority individuals living in our society in the UK. So I started to really work with these two groups of people to try and minimise the health inequalities and the social inequalities and mm-hmm. try to reduce the impact of the pandemic that the COVID was having on the lives of people with learning disabilities and yeah. those, with, uh, those belonging to ethnic minority groups as well.
0: Yeah, and, and that's interesting because I guess a lot of people aren't aware of um, kind of, you know, when it comes to general practice, depending on where, you know, your practice is located, you know, there are specific health inequalities within that area, which means that they're not having access to the resources, the messaging, the communications that, you know, ordinarily practices in high income areas would would receive. So okay, that that really is a, a perfect segue for me for my next question. Uh, which is about going back. Um, let's go back to the beginning. Tell us a little bit more about growing up as a young boy, teenager. Um, inevitably, your choice of profession and you know some of the causes that you're so passionate about and that you advocate for must link back to your youth. So who was Carter growing up?
3: Yeah, I think it's really important to try to link the kind of roots and the fruits to the causes to the outcomes. And you're right, I think what happens to children as they're growing up can in many ways shape their future. And I'm no different in that. So my story starts with a 17-year-old immigrant girl in the mid-1970s. And that girl had learning disabilities. And She was entered into an arranged marriage by her parents and unfortunately that arranged marriage was quite an abusive one and uh, as a result of several years worth of abuse, a product of that relationship or marriage, short-lived marriage, was me. I was a child growing up in a single parent family and that single Mm -hmm. parent learning disabilities. Luckily, my m- maternal grandparents, so the parents of my mother, took us both in and um, they tried their best uh, to try and give us the love and affection and the attention that we required. But despite their best efforts, for the first 12 to 13 years of my life, unfortunately, I was subjected to all manner of abuse and neglect um, at the hands of various parties, and um, unfortunately for me, when I was at my lowest ebb and when I was at rock bottom and my back was against a corner, I was able to confront my abusers and as a result, as with all cowards and abusers, they backed off and almost overnight, as if a, a switch had been flicked, uh, subconsciously in my mind and and heart I went from being a very rebellious very misbehaved disturbed child from that almost overnight to kind of a very uh, attentive and high achieving student at secondary school who then you know went on to um, go to university go to medical school and progress on to the career that many of you are aware of to this date.
0: What this episode did for me was much more than getting insight into Dr. Singh's story, but it was a testimony of hope and perseverance in the face of adversity and the reality that there can be successful outcomes, no matter how overcast one's beginnings may be. In the full episode, I particularly liked a message that he relayed about the importance of acknowledging the support of friends and family along the way, so that no man is an island point of view. If you have not already listened to the episode, take some time out to listen to it over this Christmas break. It is well worth the listen. The next episode I'm going to play is from episode four with Dr. Tony Avery, GP and professor of primary care at the University of Nottingham. As you know, I like to start each episode or majority uh, of of our episodes off with tricky verification questions uh, before settling into, you know, the primary discussion. And this one was particularly funny and one of my favourites. Check it out a grandfather two fathers and two sons went to the movie theater they went to the movie theater together and everyone bought one movie ticket each how many tickets did they buy in total
3: say that again you've got a grandfather
0: yes two two fathers, fathers and two sons they all went to the movie theatre together and everyone bought one movie ticket each. How many tickets did they buy in total?
3: As a grandfather, there's two fathers and then there's two sons. But It doesn't necessarily say there's two sons for uh, each of the fathers. Mm. So I guess it my immediate thing. It's looking like five to me, but I'm sure there's a different ways of interpreting this. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's right. So that's the immediate, uh, obvious answer, but it's actually incorrect. Do you have another guess, by any chance? It's a tricky question.
3: Well, the fathers could also be grand. Oh, that's interesting. Sorry, yes, of course. Uh, there's the grandfather, and then the father, and two sons. Uh, the grandfather could also be the father of the two sons so the grandfather two fathers and, and two sons it, it could be three
0: yes i'm gonna stop you there that is good. the right answer so it took a while to get, took a while to get there. <laughs> no that's fine it was a little bit of a trick question but it, it was very smartly put together so i think so it's a grandfather uh who he's the grandfather and he also is a father um his son is a son but is also a father and the father has a son so yes it's 3 it's 3 tickets altogether so well done yeah. In addition to these engaging personal stories, we sought to educate and raise awareness about important services that can benefit GP practitioners such as GPS and the Phoenix program. And we got some unconventional but useful movie recommendations from the GPS team that you might want to watch when you get a chance. Um, Last question. Mm-hmm. And it's not about GPS, but it's a, it's a personal question. And hopefully it will be a recommendation to uh, some of our practitioners and uh, within Nottinghamshire and Derbyshire and beyond. Um, but what are you reading, watching now, or what book movie would you recommend everyone listen to, um, to help them navigate life? I'll start with you, Nikki.
4: Oh, um. so I would probably say the the film that's had the most impact on me is Pride. Um, I'm not sure if it helps you navigate life as such, but I think it's a really important film. Um, it's set in kind of the 1980s. Um, it's about a mine in town and getting support from a um LGBT community in London um and it's really really good it's really powerful um and I think it's it's got a lot of historic information in it that I found really really useful and obviously I cried my eyes out at the end um but in a good way um so uh, I would always recommend Pride to everyone. Pride
0: okay so I, it's, it's easy for them to find it I mean if they YouTubed it or something it was there a specific year it was set in or
4: um, um I think 1984 yes. I'm gonna say 1984 I don't know if that's right um yeah. it's kind of in the miners' strike um Thatcher era okay. but I, d- <laughs> I don't know
0: <laughs> no that's fine <laughs> wonderful okay so that's Pride from um Nikki Kendall and Sarah what what movie book would it be for you
5: yeah um thanks Nikki for the recommendation I'd never seen that one um for me I always love it a good a good cartoon um and recently, I think it was last year there was um a Pixar movie called soul and it's it, as i said it's animation it's, it's suitable for all the family and basically it's about a soul's adventure and and there's as with life there's some some laughter some some tears, mm-hmm. but it really makes you think about. About our purpose, our our passions, and what gives us our spark and makes us makes us who who we are. And right. and it's actually funny because after watching it, it, it for myself, it it really struck a, a chord. And then I had a few patients of mine say they'd watched it, and without me mentioning a word, that that they felt it really helped them change their outlook, even if it's just for that split few hours after you've watched it for it to stick in your mind and think what what is my passion what's my spark and and um yeah i i'd recommend that oh wow soul so it's s-o-u-l okay s-o-u-l
0: yeah wonderful yeah no and that and that's 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 brilliant because i know you you did mention that even becoming a a mentee or joining gps before you became a mentor sorry um was uh also a way to, to help you to understand yourself
6: yeah. um, and your
0: purpose so that's very interesting um, that you that you've said that and pretty much the the, the gps service does help uh, yes. practitioners um, in that in that respect so thank mm-hmm. you okay so that's pride you heard it um, recommendations from uh nikki kendall and dr sarah louise hamlin pride and soul go out and 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 check it out check it on youtube i don't know where it would be but i'm sure you'll be able to find it next is our discussion with dr katie brammel steiner who spoke at length about the rebuild general practice campaign and the unique position and role that lmcs possess in championing the cause of general practice The intention is that local medical committees who, you know, are, you know, LMC's, they are the representative bodies of general practice locally. Um, The intention is that they carry forward this campaign as the rep for myself for, for my LMC. I've been, you know, very close to this and understand the reason why it's important for LMC's to engage, but for those LMC's who may not be so close to this or simply don't have the human capacity to engage in the way that they would like to. I mean, we both know that no one LMC is the same. Um, talk to us about the decision to work with LMCs as the primary channel to cascade this information and how have they been engaged so far?
6: So I think the engagement's been good. I think we've always got room for improvement. Uh, There's a really good website for Rebuild GP and on it, are loads of tools and draft letters that LMC's can use and share with their practises. So it's sort of been oven ready for them, if you like. And absolutely, we we get that we're we're super stretched in LMC land. And we also feel a duty and a responsibility to our constituent practises because we know they've got no headspace uh, to take time out to meet with MPs, to speak on their behalf, And equally, if we try and write to those MPs, we're not necessarily their constituents. So they might not really want to always engage with us first off. However, we've got to capture MPs' minds. And there's no one better to do that than LMC's. There's 365 of us across the UK. And if you can have something done at the BMA at a a UK level, great, wonderful. But it's always going to be seen as the BMA, the trade union. They've got to balance out relationships between the consultants and the juniors, They've got to jostle for headspace and headline space. Yeah. It can only be stretched so thin. However, We are nimble. We are flexible in LMC land. We are different things to different people. We know our surgeries best and our surgeries know their patients best. And as you say, no LMC is alike. We all have different, it's horses for courses. We have different things for different areas. So we might have good relationships with local media. We might have good relationships with local radio stations. We're in a really good position to articulate the pressures that our constituent practices Uh, are under. Uh, And and many of us may be GPs ourselves. And so we can speak firsthand about those pressures. And I think that comes across much more genuinely from a local perspective. And that speaks to patients in a way that perhaps a a national blanket campaign doesn't.
0: Lastly, but certainly not least, we sat down with the ICB and ICP chair, Dr. Kathy McLean, who gave us insight into the ICS and its primary focus, particularly pertaining to primary care. There may be GPs that may be looking at this as a, a another reorganisation of of sorts that government are implementing for the sake of it. And how how do you intend to go about? assuring them so to speak that that is not the case.
2: Yeah and I think it's a really good question Um, I mean I've probably lived through as many of these changes as anyone else in the NHS um, over nearly 40 years so I think the, the key things for me are that we actually focus on the outcomes and the changes for our population directly and that Either the way I look at it, if you're, a, if you're a member of the public or you're a, a patient, you're probably are not that interested in who's providing what service. What you want to know is that it's, you can access it, um, that you'll be treated with respect, you won't have to keep re- repeating your story, and it will all run smoothly through whatever course of journey that you need in order to get treated and, and out the other end and you're followed up appropriately. So all of that is really, really important. And I think we can only really do that when we work at a very local level, because it's increasingly clear to me as I go around uh, that we need to listen to our uh, communities. And we had a big event in um, uh, yesterday in which we had a, a room full of people, our assembly met for the first time to talk about, the priorities for our integrated care partnership uh, Mm -hmm. strategy, the strategy that 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 group has to produce. And it was um, fantastic to hear from people um, out in the, you know, out in the the, the population and in the voluntary sector and everything. And it was quite surprising in some instances, things that we thought would be priorities were not priorities, but other things were our priorities. So unless we listen Uh, And that's going to be more important than the structure. I I want the structure to fade from people's minds and actually think about, you know, how are we working collaboratively together in order to make a difference? And we'll measure our success on on those measurable things. We'll agree the things we want to measure. And we'll Mm -hmm. agree with people the things they will find valuable. So that's going to be infinitely more important. We have a one chance of integrating. This never happened before and if we don't if we don't make a, something of it we've lost that once in a a lifetime once in a more than a generation this is several generations opportunity right
0: and obviously you know because of that it needs to be done carefully and it needs to be done uh going to the grassroots and and, and getting those real experiences um yes. to make sure they're getting what they actually need um you know and sp- speaking of that i think PCN's probably would you know play a very pivotal role uh in in that integration um so i mean when when we're just looking at infrastructure and we're looking at you know support for neighborhood teams um and what that looks like how how are pcns and clinical leaders being supported um and how are they kind of helping this integrated vision
2: yeah so i think that the pcns are a really really key um element in this key building block really and I know that we've got really good um, clinical leaders within our 23 PCNs and I've been talking uh, about how I can come and and visit I know they come together and so on and we have deployed in fact over quite some time now before July well before July um, people from the CCG as was and now from the Integrated Care Board into PCNs to actually support into the place-based partnerships but with a particular focus on supporting the development of the PCNs and I think we now need to move much further on, on all of this so that we really really do develop people and give them that space in order to do the things that they need to do and I'm hearing starting to hear of really good things that are happening but again I'm, I'm very keen to meet people who are working across the PCNs uh, and so I will be we'll be hoping to do that in in uh, you know, in the next few months.
0: Okay. So that's kind of like on the agenda for... Oh, absolutely. Okay. That was, of course, the very last episode we published in October, and there will be a continuation at some point of that discussion with a particular focus on the primary care strategy in the new year. But for now, for myself... And on behalf of the entire LMC team, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.
1: We wish
3: you a Merry Christmas. We wish
0: you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast for subsequent episodes with me, Zenaida Morrison, at podbean.com. Bye for now.